Hello, North-South Connection podcast listeners. My name is Rocco Martone, and this is your daily Cronoso podcast. Today, I will be discussing the first match of the one and only Wrestling Classic pay-per-view, taking place November 7th, 1985, and emanating from the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois. This is not only the first match of the night, but the first match of our signature tournament. We have former real-life Army paratrooper Corporal Kirshner facing off with one half of the tag team, whose name inspired the name of this very podcast network, New York's own, the adorable one, Adrian Adonis. So let's get to it. Adrian is already in the ring as we start. He's accompanied here by the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart, wearing an orange and black suit that looks very much like David Pumpkin's suit. Adrian looks really cool here. He oozes confidence. He's wearing a killer New York Yankees-inspired leather jacket that has the curved NY real big in a circle with the words Adrian Adonis, New York City around it. Looks really cool. 1985 was a particularly frustrating year for the, me and for the Yankees as uh, the greatest of all time. My guy, Don Mattingly, had a huge year capped off by winning the American League MVP. Unfortunately, the Yanks did not make the playoffs this year, and he would not get there for 10 more very frustrating-as-fuck years of my life and everyone in the state, well, the <laughs> everyone in New Jersey, New York, anyone who's a Yankees fan. Uh, Adonis looks really cool here. He looks like a total badass, and he could have easily portrayed Luther, the uh, the leader of Hell's Kitchen's gang, the, uh, the rogues in the Walter Hill action movie classic, uh, The Warriors. Uh, a movie whose baseball furies gang would later inspire Steve Lombardi's MVP and Abe Knuckleball Schwartz gimmick. And as a side note, the previously mentioned of Luther was portrayed by screen madman David Patrick Kelly, who later starred in John Wick with Keanu Reeves and Super Shredder himself, a big sexy Kevin Nash. So, little IMDb there. Uh, back to the ring. Now, as Kirshner comes out, I am struck by the dichotomy of a lot of aspects of this match. Uh, I'll get into that more specifically later, but here you just see the young military man Kirshner. He enters the ring in his camo and his beret, his camo and his beret, with an instrumental version of the army goes rolling along, uh, just ringing through the arena. This is diametrically opposed to Adonis. He's a rough, tough-looking, proud New Yorker. And this is not modern-day Disney, Broadway, hipster Brooklyn, New York City. This is the 80s version of New York City. It's a gritty, crime-filled, scary motherfucking place. I went there as a kid, and it was very traumatizing to me having a full a man who was bleeding from the forehead while he approached me, looking like Ric Flair. I was an 8-year-old kid, and he was asking me for change to spare, if I had any change to spare, while I was in the city to see dinosaurs at the uh, history of the Museum of Natural History. Um, this was a goddamn lawless, disorderly place, New York City. And this is directly opposed to like the rigid, militaristic discipline of the former soldier, Corporal Kirshner. Kirshner enters the ring on high alert. He's ready to go, and we see he's got good reason, as the street fighter Adonis has taken the leather belt off of his jacket, and he's threatening to whip the shit out of Kirshner with it. Uh, they are separated by the ref, and Jimmy helps Adrian spin out of his leather jacket, and there's a little sweet bit of flair there, because um, uh, Jimmy grabs his sleeve. Uh, I thought I thought Adrian's arms were stuck in the jacket, kind of like John Candy's in, the, uh, in planes, trains, and automobiles when he's driving the car, but this was just like Adrian Peacock in a bit, perhaps foreshadowing his uh, future incarnation. Gorilla mentions Adonis being a former tag champ with Jesse in Adrian's other direction-based tag team, the East-West Connection. Then instantly has to be weight-obsessed Gorilla and comments, oh, look at that, Adrian is bulked up again. I think Adrian looks fine here, and from my experience, it's dudes that are built like him that you don't want to fuck with. It's not the glamour, muscle-obsessed, muscle dudes that you see. Uh, it's guys like this. But I digress. On to the match. They collide in the center of the ring and have a really aggressive tie-up with the, uh, the bigger Adonis just manhandling Kirchner into the corner. Real cool high-energy scrap to start with. Uh, don't get used to that. It's here that Jesse explains the story of this match by asking 
is the less experienced Kirchner capable of combating the tactics that the veteran Adonis will employ? Good question. And another example of this matches like dichotomous nature, the vet versus the rookie. Kirchner gets two cool arm drags that catch Adrian totally off guard. The first one just pisses him off, and the second one frustrates the shit out of Adrian. Uh, it's here that Kirshner gets real lazy with a headlock on, and he slaps a headlock on, and just, I guess he grinds Adrian down to the mat. I mean, Adrian just kind of lays on the mat, and uh, it, it just grinds the momentum of this match to a grinding halt. I mean, a lot of, a lot of grinding, but it, it's monotonous for the way I'm talking. It's monotonous for this match. A one-minute headlock later, <laughs> during which at one point Jesse proclaims in reference to Jimmy Hart, the mouth is here and the megaphone is jamming. Uh, which is the most entertaining part of this minute of wrestling. After a while, Adrian gets up to his feet. I'd say he fights up to his feet, but he just kind of stands up. Uh, here he hits a pretty sick Saito suplex, followed by some really cool wind-up vertical elbows to the top of Kirshner's dome. Adrian hits a beautiful one-armed over-the-top snapmare, leaving Kirshner prone on the mat. Uh, when Kirshner's looking at the lights, Adrian hits the ropes, and bam! Hits that like stone-cold-style stutter-step elbow forearm smash to the esophagus of Kirshner. And that's really cool. Adrian's offense looks really great. And the tempo is up. And it's all really cool until Adonis whips Kirshner over and sinks in a chilling lock. But luckily enough, this does not last as long as Kirshner's uh, headlock before. Because uh, Kirshner is guts personified, as uh, Gorilla states there. And quickly gets up and traps Adrian in the corner. So elbow strikes to the gut of Adonis. And Kirshner goes to arm whip the bigger man out of the corner. This is blocked by Adonis. Kirshner goes for a uh, sloppy suplex to Adonis in a very awkward attempt. Gorilla again with the, uh, that's a lot of weight to get up there, fat shaving on Adrian. The crowd really pops when they see Kirshner going for this, but it's uh, blocked by the big man. Adonis tightens up around Kirshner's neck, really cinches it in, shifts his weight, throws his legs up in the air, and fucking crushes Kirshner's skull down into the mat with a huge DDT. One, two, three... Corp kicks right out of three, and then he pouts in the ring. It was sold as more of a surprise flash, like knockout win, where he gets right up. But uh, fucking hell, man. It was swift, and it looked brutal. And they replay it, and it makes it look even more violent than the original. I love the DDT. I love Jake and Raven. They're two of my all-time favorite wrestlers. But man, I gotta say, I love this Adonis version. Like, Raven always would throw his legs up as he fell back. But with, like, the extra man meat of Adrian behind it, and Adrian keeps his opponent's head cinched tight, so he really pulls the head down into the mat, and it makes this fucking devastating uh, finisher. Like, holy crap. Uh, <laughs> I loved it, man. Uh, by the way, I always assumed that DDT stood for Devastation, Destruction, and Termination, but I could find zero evidence of this ever being referred to on TV or in a magazine, so I think it was just me being a weirdo fucking kid. Gorilla sells this victory as the youngster getting outsmarted by the veteran, and Jesse reiterates that Corpse inexperience did him in which is always a cool story to tell. In the back, Gene interviews Hart and Adonis, and Adonis has a really fun promo here. Uh, I'll go through it real quick. The, the thoughts are the man knows the rules, and I know the rules. I know wrestling. I wrote the book. The other man's got to learn the holds. He doesn't know your wrist lock from a padlock. Adonis will teach you the game. There has not been so much clashing charisma in this ring right now since I don't know who, because I am rewriting wrestling, and I'm going to rewrite it tonight because I'm definitely coming out victorious. Jimmy Hart, myself, we are undoubtedly Gene, the winners. That was awesome. Gene goes to throw us back to Jesse and Gorilla and Adonis. Before he leaves, he throws in a quick, 
but we do have confidence. We do have confidence. Uh, I love that. His line of having confidence was it was so endearing to me, and uh, it really helped him nail this really fun promo and got Adrian over real high with me, man. And I love the concept of Adrian rewriting wrestling. It's a cool concept and a great motivation for a wrestling character that I feel you don't see too much ever, or especially in today's wrestling. Uh, I guess because saying that you want to rewrite sports entertainment sounds fucking stupid, but... So this match is all about dichotomy to me, and this event is too. After all the hype of the celebrity-studded Mania 1 and the big TV event feel of Saturday Night's main event, the big event feels very stripped down, more like a real sports feel. I like its vibe because I just love this era of wrestling, but it's just not the same in terms of production. I do like the big board with the tournament brackets on it, and I definitely spent many hours booking imaginary Rio de Janeiro tournaments in my notebooks at school the day after watching this pay-per-view. Security guards are there, and they're sitting in chairs with their backs completely facing the ring, with one dude in particular dead center on the hard camera. Just, yeah, just an odd visual that I noticed on this night. As far as Kirshner, at this time as a kid, I was all in on his character. I know he's probably meant as a replacement for Sergeant Slaughter, who left right before Mania 1, which is pretty wild to think of what he would have done there, but I don't care. I dug Kirshner. His character debuted in August, which was a few months after Rambo First Blood Part 2 was released. And Part 2 is the one where Rambo goes back to the jungle and really adopts like the look that would define his character. Rambo was just huge at this time. You couldn't get away from him, especially with kids. So much so that, like, besides toys and a Sega game, there was a kid-friendly Rambo cartoon. Excuse, a kid-friendly Rambo cartoon show that debuted a few months after this. Uh, 80s was a huge time for R-rated movies for adults being so over with kids that they spawned kids' cartoons, much like Swamp Thing, RoboCop, Toxic Avengers. In Kirchner's introductory vignettes, he was portrayed training in the jungle with a camouflage face paint, beret, and big-ass Rambo knife while being interviewed by a ridiculous-looking ridiculous Mean Gene asking about his military past. It's pretty clear here what they were aiming for with the Kirshner character and definitely being a Stallone Rambo clone. Also at this time was the height of G.I. Joe, and the only thing I loved as much as wrestling at this time was G.I. Joe, a show that the previously mentioned Sergeant Slaughter had debuted on earlier this year, bridging the gap between my two loves, and that was awesome. Also, G.I. Joe had a very interesting duality to its levels of maturity across its different forms of media. So on this day, November 7th, 85, was the premiere of the season one episode of the animated series titled Cobra Claws Are Coming to Town. It was a Christmas-themed episode that featured a shrink ray, which enabled a Trojan horse-style attack by Cobra. Uh, the episode climaxed in a wild ending featuring Shipwreck's parrot, Polly, being enlarged to pterodactyl size and saving the day. It's a fun, silly episode. So this is light years away from what was happening in the comic book at the time. The November 85 issue, uh, number 41 of G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, released by Marvel Comics, titled Strategic Diplomacy. It has a super brutal cover featuring gung-ho and Roblox, and they're all fucked up with bandages all over their face, surrounded by gunfire, chaos, and just insanity. And the story time there was not a giant parrot, but an insane storyline about the battle for Cobra Island and the Joes lose and the United Nations declares Cobra an island a sovereign nation. The Joes are humiliated and defeated, and it's a very adult, complex, and dark time in the comic books, which is completely anachronistic to what was going on in the cartoon at the time. In the cartoon's defense, Serpentor would be spawned at the beginning of the next season and kick off my favorite era of that show. So the Kirchner G.I. Joe Rambo character is a sharp contrast to the biker character of Adonis. Kirchner is an early example of Vince manufacturing a character to capitalize on a trend, plugging a pro wrestler into a role instead of the pro wrestler creating the role. I know Kirshner was a paratrooper, but that doesn't mean he has the charisma to pull off a Sergeant Slaughter level babyface, especially this early in his career. Contrast this to the character Adonis had created for himself almost a decade earlier in the Pacific Northwest, perfected in the AWA and brought to the WWF in the early 80s. Even though it was obviously working and he was a very hated heel, 
Vince would begin to change Adonis's character into that of his own creation. And Adonis just fucking kills it in the future because he fucking rules. But soon after this pay-per-view, we will begin to see an early example of Vince's history of on-air body shaming that still happens to this day. See Keith Lee and not allowing something he did not create to flourish. So with what we know about future Adonis, we have an even crazier divergence in Kirshner. From Yankee Doodle Dandy Babyface here in 85, he's a full-on monster heel in Japan within a few years. And I mean an actual monster, as he develops the gimmick of Weatherface, which is literally just a complete ripoff of Weatherface, the antagonist of the 1974 horror classic, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and one of the most identifiable horror icons ever. Brandishing an actual chainsaw and running through the crowd, he terrified way more Japanese fans than anyone, since Bruiser Brody and The Sheik and uh, Abdullah. Uh, the Weatherface movie character is based on Wisconsin serial killer Ed Gain, who was famous for skinning women and in an attempt to honor his dead mother, wearing their dead skin masks while dancing in the moonlight, which was later made famous in a Slayer song. In later sequels, Weatherface will eventually morph into a full-on cross-dressing makeup-wearing character, very much like how Adrian slowly morphed from a biker into, with, with the help of a briefcase adorned with the phrase Relax with Trudy, morph into a grotesque, whatever-happened-to-baby-jane-esque-type he hag heel. So we have two men who were definitely on wildly divergent paths once this match and their respective WWE careers concluded. So back to my thoughts about the match. It was a bit boring. I feel that if Kirshner had kept with the early arm drag flurry level of aggression and fire until finally being caught by the veteran Adonis, this would have been an amazing sprint. Instead, we get the young baby face with a boring headlock for about a third of the match. Uh, I guess if you want to say that in kayfabe, he did not know this would be a three-minute match and he was just going with the it's not a marathon, it's a sprint philosophy, then I guess there's some credence to that. But that doesn't make all of his time controlling this match any less boring and me any less bored. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story and don't let the logic get in the, my way of enjoying this match. Adonis kills it. He fucking rules. Everything he does looks impactful, violent, and smooth. And nice and smooth. And he's going to make it real funky for you. I just, I just want to, I just wish he had an opponent worthy of him and his attempts to rewrite wrestling here. Uh, alas, he does not, but he looks great doing his thing. So when it comes to a match like this that isn't telling an emotional story or even just a fun, wild athletic display, for me, it isn't always exactly about what happens in the ring or even on my TV screen, especially when it comes to analyzing or discussing my thoughts and feelings about it. One great thing about art is its ability to inspire, and hopefully even mediocre art can at least spark your imagination and get your personal creative juices flowing. Get those synapses firing, connecting dots in your brain that you may not have seen before. So as a great piece of in-ring wrestling, this definitely missed the mark. But as a catalyst for me to dig a little deeper into some dudes I grew up watching and exploring some really fun tangential themes, plus getting me started down a super fun G.I. Joe rewatch rabbit hole, I could definitely say it left me satisfied and smiling. And for that, I'm glad I watched it. Speaking of two dudes who always leave me satisfied and smiling, J.T. Rosero and Tim Capel host one of my favorite shows here on the North-South Connection feed, Beverly Hills 9021-NOSO, an in-depth exploration of Beverly Hills 90210 that also isn't afraid to use the show's content to launch into other topics like uh, the origin of President's Day holiday, Tim's hatred of children, and uh, Brandon Walsh's odd hat choices. I was on episode 7 discussing the episode The Perfect Mother, which is about negligent parent, high fashion, and cocaine. 
all of my passions. So if you want to discuss 90210, G.I. Joe, wrestling, or cocaine with me, find uh, find me on Facebook at Rocco Martone. And if you want to listen to some music that David Silver would certainly hate and never play on his radio show, check out my band, Chain to the Dead. All our shirts and records are available on our Bandcamp page. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram. Plus, you can listen to all of our music on all major music streaming platforms, like the one you are currently listening to this podcast on. Unless you're on Podbean, then the only place you could hear me is on the North-South Connection podcast. Podcast feed. Thanks for listening, and remember, we do have charisma.